Okay, we are in Matthew chapter 24, reading from verse 1. Matthew chapter 24, reading from verse 1. Matthew 24, verse 1. Jesus came out from the temple and was going away when His disciples came up to point out the temple buildings to Him. And He said to them, Do you see all these things? Truly I say to you, not one stone here will be left upon another, which will not be torn down. And as he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things happen? And what will, the sign of your, what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? So, Jesus is coming and he's walking out of the temple. And uh, uh, his disciples start to point things out to him. Now, Herod's temple, it was called, you can, you can go there and you, you can go to Israel and you can see the remains of Herod's temple. Most of the stones have been torn down. And they're just piled up there and you can actually see them to this day. How many people have been to Jerusalem? Oh, okay, I can tell you about it. And so, all these stones are, are when the Romans finally came in in 70 AD, they just, they did exactly what Jesus prophesied. I mean, they just pulled down stone after stone after stone. Now, Jesus, Jesus said, uh, do you see all these things? Truly I say to you, not one stone here will be left upon another which will not be torn down. Now, not every stone is torn down. When Jesus talks about all, when the Bible says all, you know, you know, sometimes we think, well, all means all. Every one of them. Well, that's not the case. The Bible, you know, it says, for example, all Israel will be saved. It doesn't mean that every last Jew will be saved. It means that the vast majority. And you can see, not every stone. Now, some of the stones, they couldn't move. I'm telling you, some of the stones are, are like from that door to that door. And one stone and to the top of the, where the screen is. One stone and then it's, it's from here to the outside, that big. They have no idea how, how they were able to build with these things. I mean, the Roman soldiers probably looked at that stone and said, forget that one. I mean, I mean, if the commander wants it down, he can pull it down himself. So not every stone has been torn down, but the vast majority. And you can see where they were pulled over and where they crushed the sidewalk as they came down, which was also stone. And, they, they, and they're just piled up there. And uh, uh, all of this has been excavated because it was all covered with dirt, and they just moved the dirt away, and you can see these stones. So Jesus said that this is going to be torn down. Now, as Herod started building this temple, I, I don't know, about uh, something like 15 or 20 B.C., and then it was completed after Herod, the, uh, King Herod's death. It was completed. And it, it took many years, and I'm not sure that it was totally, even totally completed by the time it was torn down. They, the majority of it was certainly done. It is a beautiful piece of work. And so his disciples are pointing this out because even today, it's quite a marvel. I mean, when you see the size of the stones that they had built this temple out of, and what he did is, so there's this mountain of Jerusalem. So Jerusalem is up on this mountain, and you'd think that Jerusalem would be the highest mountain around there. It's not. There's another mountain, right, and it looks a little bit higher. What Herod did is he took the top of the mountain and he cut it off and made a big flat area to expand the city of Jerusalem and to build the temple. It was really, really amazing. And, and, uh, but where the Dome of the Rock is, the mosque right now, 
is where the very site where Abraham offered up his son Isaac, was offering up his son Isaac, that very spot that's in the city of Jerusalem, and it was over that very spot that the Holy of Holies resided in the temple. Right now, there's a mosque right there, and, and the Jews get as close to it as they can, to, to, that, to that mosque. And uh, um, actually, only Muslims are allowed to go in there, except my daughter went one time, which was really quite interesting. She went with her Muslim friend, and she covered her head, just, you know, normal scarf, and went up there, and, and um, um, she went, and then when she got up there, she got stopped by a guard as she was on the Temple Mount, and the guard said to the Muslim girl, say your prayers. So she said her Muslim prayers. And my daughter was about to say, uh, I don't know that. And he turned to her and he said, you're from Pakistan. She says, well, my mother's from Pakistan. He says, that's good enough. Go ahead. And so you see God's protection uh, on, on crazy young girls. That's what they do. But, so that, that was really quite an amazing thing. And so they're pointing this out to Jesus and thinking that Jesus would go, oh, really, that, that really is remarkable architecture. And Jesus just says, let me tell you something. Um, not one stone here will be left upon another which will not be torn down. This whole place is going to be torn down. So don't put your value too much in this building. It's great to have a temple. It's great to have this temple built. But don't put your value in this because it's coming down. This is a great object lesson for us as believers. Don't put your value too much in your car, in the house you build. As believers, you know, don't... You can buy a house. There's nothing wrong with buying a house. It can be a nice house. And you can be proud of your house, too. But don't put too much value in it because it might burn down the next day. It really, <clears throat> really might. Or you might have a hurricane like Katrina come through and the whole house is gone. So our values are to be placed on things that, that are much greater than the possessions or the things that we see around. And as valuable as the temple was for worship of God, even Jesus did not put a whole lot of stock in that. He says, you know, this thing's going to be torn down. And so he gives them that lesson. Now, in verse 3, it says he was sitting on the Mount of Olives. So to go from the temple to the Mount of Olives, if you were to walk directly, take maybe... I don't know, 20 minutes, 30 minutes. It's not very far. You go down into the Kidron Valley. And so you're way up on this Temple Mount. You go down the hill into the Kidron Valley and then back up to the Mount of Olives. And I've made that walk, actually, in the opposite direction. I started on the Mount of Olives and you walk down into the valley and back up. And when you go down in the valley, you, you lose the sun because the sun is behind the mountains. And it's, it's, it's like 20 degrees cooler down in the valley and, and then you come back up on the Mount of Olives, and so that's where it used to hang out. And you can see these, these old olive trees that are still there. And, and all those olive trees were cut down. The Romans just cut them all down when they came in. They were building these, these uh, ramparts to, to attack the city in 70 AD. But, but uh, there is one big old one there, and they say, you know, that's the one that you know, Jesus was praying under or something. And we don't know. And it probably wasn't. But it's a big old tree. And these things live a long time. Um, but So they're not far. So they're sitting up on the Mount of Olives. And it says his disciples came to him. And in Mark chapter 13 verse 3, it says which disciples came to him. It says Peter, James, John, and Andrew. So you've got Peter and Andrew who were brothers. James and John who were brothers. 
And so these two sets of brothers, these four, four men, come to him privately and they say, when are these things going to happen? But not just when are these things going to be torn down. They actually ask him three questions. They say, tell us, when will these things happen? Well, what things? The destruction of the temple. When are these things going to be torn down? And what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? So, in other words, they say, we want to know three things. When are these things going to happen? When is all these stones going to be torn down? What's going to be the sign of your coming? And what's going to be the end of the age? So, there's actually three questions mixed together. You know, it would have been a lot clearer had they asked one question, allowed Jesus to answer, and then asked the next question, allowed Jesus to answer, and then asked the next one. Because what Jesus does is he mixes then all the answers together. They ask three questions in one sentence. And so there's still a bit of a mystery here as we begin to read Jesus' answer to this question. But Jesus was specifically answering the question that came to him. Remember the three questions. When will these things happen? In other words, when is the temple going to be destroyed? When... What's going to be the sign of your coming? And what's going to be the... Tell us something about the end of the age. And, and, uh, and Jesus, in verse 4, Jesus answered and said to them, See to it that no one misleads you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ. And then he goes on. And so, he goes on for, for the rest of the chapter, answering these three questions, but not necessarily in succession. Remember to us, the way we are educated, chronology is very important. To them, chronology was not that important. That's why three of the Gospels unabashedly don't go in chronological order. Only Luke goes in chronological order, and he announces it at the beginning in in, in Luke, I think it's Luke uh, chapter 1, verse 3, that this is in chronological order. And he also wrote the book of Acts. Luke wrote the book of Acts also in chronological order. Uh, but the other Gospels don't, don't care about chronology because that wasn't important to them in their culture. And you say, well, that's really important. What happened? This? Well, why is it important? Well, that's the way I've been taught. Yeah, that's the way we teach things, that chronology is important. They weren't taught that way. They were taught that they would take certain themes and they would explain upon those themes and it didn't matter the sequence of events in, in, in particular. And Jesus now is answering these things, but how Matthew records them, either Jesus wasn't answering them chronologically or Matthew didn't care to record them in the sequence that Jesus recorded them. All we know is that he's going to answer three questions. And let me tell you what happens in, in Jerusalem. There were... Uh, I forget the exact number, but it's something like 100,000 Messianic Jews. That means Jews who had believed Jesus was the Messiah, living in Jerusalem in 68 AD. Remember, the temple was completely destroyed in 70 AD. Jesus died somewhere around 35 AD, something like that. So somewhere in that time, 33, 35. Jesus actually was probably not born at zero he was probably born, uh, just if you look at the dates of when there were different kings, uh, uh, 5 to 7 B.C. Jesus was actually born. And that he lived 33 years, most scholars think that he probably lived to be around 35 or 36. So, anyway, Jesus died around 35 
A.D. The temple is destroyed 70 A.D. There's 100,000 Messianic Jews, 100,000 Jews that believe Jesus is Messiah living in Jerusalem when it comes under siege by the Romans. So finally the, the Jews had gotten the Romans upset enough. They said, we've got to just deal with these people once and for all. And so they, they lay siege against the city. And Jesus describes what's going to happen. Very specifically, he says, he says, when you see armies surrounding Jerusalem, and that's actually in Luke chapter 21, verse 20, the same account, Jesus gives a few more words, Luke describes those in his account. He says, when you see the armies surrounding Jerusalem, then you'll know these things are going to be happening. Many false prophets will arise, and false Christs, meaning false messiahs. And that's exactly what happened. The Messianic Jews always were going to fight alongside the, the non-believing, the, non, the Jews that didn't believe that Jesus was Messiah. They were going to fight for the city of Jerusalem. They were ready to die for it. Then what had happened was a false Christ, a different Messiah, was proclaimed by one of the rabbis. And, and, and so this is not in the Bible. What I'm telling you is, is from what you can get out of historical books. A false Christ was, was proclaimed. And that's when they said, we can't fight for this false Messiah. And then they recognized that this is exactly what Jesus has, had prophesied. And he says, when you see these armies surrounding Jerusalem, get out. Get out. Leave. And they did. The 100,000 Messianic Jews left Jerusalem. They went to... I, I, I don't quite remember the name of the city. It was something like Perea. It was on the other side of the Jordan they went to. Not a single Messianic Jew died in the destruction in Jerusalem that had occurred in 70 AD. Remember they called, they said, they said His blood, Jesus' blood, be upon us and upon our children. Remember His crucifixion. Pilate said, His blood is not on my hands. And the Jews said, His blood be upon us and upon our children. This was in about 35 AD. 35 years later, this very thing was happening, coming upon them and upon their children. The Messianic Jews were spared. Why? Because of the prophecies here, where Jesus tells them to flee when they see the, the army surrounding them. So how could they flee when the Romans had already surrounded the city? Well, the siege lifted in about 69 AD, for a period of about two weeks. The siege lifted. Something had happened in Rome. The troops were called back for a few weeks. They moved away from the city. And the Messianic Jews said, we can't fight for this false Messiah that you've raised up. And they left. And then the siege returned. And then after a period of six months or a year, they finally overcame the walls, which were really quite high around the city. And they were able to overtake the city and they destroyed the entire thing. And, and so... Um, as we read this, a lot of this is going to refer to where the walls were torn down in that city. So verse 5. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will mislead many. Remember, Christ means Messiah. And they will be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not frightened for those things must take place. But that is not yet the end. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And and, and in various places, and there will be famines and earthquakes. But these things are merely the beginning of birth pangs. Then they will deliver you to tribulation and will kill you, and you will be hated by all nations because of my name. And at that time, many will fall away and will betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and will mislead many. Because lawlessness is increased, many people's love will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end, he shall be saved. 
The gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So, remember one of the signs they said, tell us about the end of the age. So Jesus throws this in in verse 14. You want to know something about the end of the age? The gospel will have been preached in all the world. Now remember, Jesus, Matthew, either Jesus was, was, wasn't sequentially telling us, or Matthew didn't record this sequentially. Verse 15, Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolations, which was spoken through Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand, then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains, Whoever is on the housetop must not get, go down to get get out that must not go down to get the things out that are in that in the house. Whoever is in the field must not turn back to get his cloak. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babes in those days. But pray that your flight will not be in winter or on the Sabbath, for then there will be great tribulation such as not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will. Unless those days had been cut short, no life would have been saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Then if anyone says to you, Behold, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe him. For false Christs and false prophets will arise, and will show great signs and wonders, so as to mislead many, if possible, even the elect. Behold, I have told you in advance. If they say to you, Behold, he is in the wilderness, do not go out. Or, Behold, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe them. For just as the lightning comes from the east and flashes even to the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Where, where the corpse is, there the vultures will also be gathered. Now keep your finger there. Turn to Luke chapter 21. In Luke chapter 21, recording the same incident. Matthew actually records much more than Luke. But if you look in Luke chapter 21, verse 20. He says, But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then recognize her desolation is near. Those who are in Judea must not, those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains, and those who are in the midst of the city must leave, and those who are in the country must not enter the city, because these are the days of vengeance, so that all things which are written will be fulfilled. Woe to those who are pregnant and so forth. So Jesus is speaking to them about an event that is now past. And that is the destruction of the temple. That's how they knew to flee. That's how the Messianic Jews did not die in the wrath that came upon Jerusalem. They knew from this passage. Now Jesus, or Matthew, is throwing in, back in, in Matthew chapter 24, he's throwing in things concerning the end times as well. And now you, you look in verse 29 of Matthew chapter 24. But immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from the sky, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn as they see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. And he will send forth his angels with a great trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of the sky to the other. So we get a sense of what's going to happen. He says, in the end, the, the, the sun will darken and the moon will not give its light and stars will fall from the sky. I don't know exactly what that means, but we do know, you know, stars are not going to be falling on the earth. I mean, the, the earth is gone, right? I mean, the stars are big. But it could be meteor showers, or we don't know exactly what's going to happen, but we know that there's going to be enough cover in the sky. We don't know if there's going to be dirt thrown up from nuclear explosions or something that the sun and the moon are not going to be able to cast their light upon the earth as well. 
But he does say that the Son of Man is going to come and gather up people. There's going to be a trumpet that's going to be blown and, and, and they'll come and they'll gather up his people. And that corresponds very well to uh, uh, what's going to happen as described in, in uh, the book of Revelation. And, and this is talked about as the rapture. This is the word that we've given to it, although that word is not used in Scripture. If you keep your finger there and turn to Romans chapter 14, I'm sorry, Revelation chapter 14. Revelation chapter 14. Very quickly, the rapture will occur. And the rapture occurs, in, if you look in Revelation 14, verse 13. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, Right, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, so that they may rest from their labors, from their deeds, for their deeds follow with them. Then I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and sitting on the cloud was one like the Son of Man, having a golden crown on his head, and a sharp sickle in his hand. And another angel came out of the temple, crying out with a loud voice to him who sat on the throne, Put in your sickle, sickle and reap, for the hour has come, because the harvest of the earth is ripe. Then he who sat on the cloud swung his sickle over the earth, and the earth was reaped. I mean, that quickly, Jesus is going to take up both those who have perished in Christ already, the dead will rise, and those who are on earth who know him will also rise to be with him. Very quickly, just like that, it says in verse 14, he's going to be on a cloud. He's going to be sitting on a cloud, and there's going to be a trumpet will be blown. And, and if you look back in Matthew chapter, chapter, third, chapter 24, verse 30, it says that, that he's going to be coming, appearing in the sky. You know, the same picture. Jesus is going to come riding again. So if people say, you know, Jesus is over there, don't ever believe them. When he returns, he's going to come riding in the clouds. If you look in the book of Acts, it says that when Jesus was taken up, he was taken up in a cloud and carried away. And the angel said to his disciples, and this is all in, in the book of Acts, I believe Acts, Acts chapter 1. It says, the angel says to his disciples, why are you looking at Jesus? He's gone. He's going to return just as he was taken away. He was taken away by a cloud. He's going to come in the clouds. And all of this corresponds and matches up. In the book of Thessalonians, in 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 13 through 18, it talks about what the, the, the rapture is going to be like. The dead in Christ, those who have died in Christ, God is going to resurrect their bodies. You say, well, uh, what about all those who have died in Christ and were cremated? God put the atoms together once, he'll put the atoms together once again. It's really no problem for him. He can do it. All right? And it, he, it says, they will rise, and then those who are on the earth who know him will rise with him. There's a lot of controversy over when the rapture will occur. Most scholars believe the rapture will occur before the great tribulation of the end, where the earth will be tormented and one-third of the earth will die. Many believe that the, the rapture will occur before that ever takes place. Some people believe the rapture occurs after the sixth seal is broken. Uh, uh, so somewhere in mid-tribulation, the rapture will occur and those who love him will be taken. Some feel that believers go through the entire rapture before they're taken. I have no idea. I'm not an authority on this at all. I have no idea. So you can, you can read whoever your favorite preacher is and they all define it for you. And you can, you can believe them or not believe them. I have no idea. All I know is the Bible says those who are ready will be taken. And, and I want to be ready. I really want to be ready because I don't want to have to stay here and what the earth is going to be like when things start pelting this earth and, and meteorites and things start falling and you can't see the sun anymore and the, you can't see the moon. And I don't want to be here. 
All I know is I want to be right with him. And then Jesus goes into talking more. And again, remember, there were three questions that, are, that, he's, that were asked, and he begins to mix these things together. Now let's look in verse 36 of Matthew chapter 24. But of the day and the hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son of Man, but the Father alone. Now let me warn you of something. You will meet people in your lifetime that say, the Lord is going to return on such and such a day. That person is a liar or an idiot. Really. That is the only way they can say that. And they say, no, no, they've worked it out. You know, they, got, they figured it out from the scriptures and it's 80, 82 years from this. And they, and they figured it out. And I've met these people over the years. And I'm like, I'm like, well, trust me, when that day comes and goes, what are you going to do? There have been preachers, very famous preachers, that have made predictions that they've figured out from the Word of God. And it was something like in 1982 or something. And you know, it was past 1982. It didn't happen. In fact, if somebody says it's going to happen on that day, you know it's not going to happen on that day because it says you don't know the day or the hour. So if he says it's going to happen, that's for sure the day it's not going to happen. It might happen the day before. It might happen the day after. But it's not happening that day. So any day that's defined is a priori not the day. You will meet strange people in the body of Christ. The body of Christ is full of them because God says that he has not chosen the wise or the noble. God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. So the body of Christ is filled with with all sorts of people that, that are loony. It really is. And if you go to Jerusalem, you meet more of them. You really do, because they all feel that they've got to go to Jerusalem, and the place is just filled with strange people that are really strange, with all these different philosophies of why they have to be in Jerusalem. As if, as if Jesus is not going to be able to get them some other place on earth. They've got to be in Jerusalem. Um, but anyway, uh, no, nobody really knows the day or the hour. And it says, uh, not even the angels, uh, for the Son of Man, in verse 37... For, for the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. For as in the days, of, days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, and the, until the day that Noah entered the ark. Now, for those of you who think that this ark thing is, is you know, just a bunch of allegory, Jesus spoke of it as if it was something really quite real. And you can say it was all allegorical, da-da-da-da. Maybe. But I think not, because Jesus spoke of it as if it was quite real. But remember, even for those in the body of Christ that think that the, the ark story in Noah is an allegory, that Adam and Eve are an allegory, remember that that has nothing to do with their salvation. It has nothing to do with it. Our salvation, it says in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, is if we confess that Jesus is Lord... And believe in, and it, if, if we believe that, if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God has, that He has risen from the dead, we shall be saved. That's it. Our willingness to confess Jesus is Lord and we really believe that He's risen physically from the dead, we shall be saved. Those are the prerequisites to salvation. Not the Adam and Eve story. Although I believe very much that God made a man named Adam and a woman named Eve. And there are things that, that, that point to, to, to you, know, you know, man being quite recent on this earth, man in the sense of man having religious worship, 
having a sense of burying his dead. There were many bipedal creatures that were around prior to man as we know man that wore jewelry and all, all sorts of things. But, and, and man as we know man in the sense of wearing jewelry, burying his dead, having religious worship, playing instruments is sub 100,000 years old. That is well known from archaeology. That is less than 100,000 years. There were bipedal creatures that are much older than that, but they didn't bury their, their dead. If they did, it was a very shallow grave. They had no jewelry. They had no form of worship. They had no music. But regardless, a person can be an evolutionist, I mean a staunch evolutionist, and still be a believer in Christ. And what happens is, Sometimes believers get these little pet theologies and they think that, oh, that person, if you believe in evolution, you can't be a Christian. Well, that's not true. The Bible makes it very simple that we believe that Jesus is Lord and we believe that he's risen from the dead. Those are the prerequisites in Romans chapter 10, verse 9. That's it. And you say, well, what do you do with the evolutionists? You just love them. That's fine. You can be an evolutionist. It doesn't bother me a bit. It really doesn't bother me a bit. You want to take all that as allegory? Fine. What else are you going to take as allegory? How about the resurrection? You want to take that as an allegory? That one you can't, because he says you've got to believe that he's risen from the dead. What about the virgin birth? Well, you can take that as an allegory if you want to, but it's very clear in the scriptures. But you have to begin to tear out a lot of pages if you start thinking everything's allegory. But what I'm, what I'm saying is you don't want to trump Brotherly love, when you meet Christians that don't believe exactly like you do. And I'll tell you, I've met believers that were ready to fight. I mean, they were about to put their fists up to fight over the fact of when the rapture occurs. Pre-trib, mid-trib, or post-trib, it's called. What do you believe? And they're ready to fight. I mean, they just dig right in there. You know, they're ready to go at it. And based on my answer of whether I say pre-trib, post-trib, or mid-trib, they're ready to fight. And I say, I don't know. I don't know. What do you think? Oh, I, I, it's after the sixth seal. It's mid-trib. Okay. Okay. I'm all right with that. It, maybe it is. And, and, and to not dig your heels in on non-essentials is great. All you've got to know is that if you're ready, you'll be taken. If you're ready, you'll be taken. When he comes, he's not going to forget you. Now remember, there's going to be some who were saved through the tribulation. Those who don't believe on Jesus are going to go through the tribulation. And says, after the tribulation, many are going to then believe on him. In fact, after the tribulation, it says all of Israel will be saved. Because they're going to see these events occur. It talks about this in the book of Revelation. There's going to be two witnesses that are going to come. And they're going to preach in His name. Prophets, they're going to come. And they're going to be killed. And then, God is going to raise them back up again. Some people say that those two people are, are Enoch and Elijah. Because they're the only men in the Bible that never died a physical death. And maybe it is Enoch and Elijah. It doesn't tell us in the book of Revelation. It would kind of make sense. It was because it says, it is given for all men to die once and then comes judgment. And those men were taken directly to heaven, Enoch and Elijah. So maybe those are the two prophets who are going to come back and testify of Jesus and then die and then be raised up. And it says when the Jews see that and they see that they've been raised up, then they will look upon him whom they have pierced, meaning Jesus, and they will weep for him. 
And all of Israel will be saved, it says in the book of Revelation. So some will be saved through the tribulation. They're going to say, yeah, Jesus was right. <laughs> you know, and they're going to get saved. But still, even after that, some are not going to get saved. But Jesus is describing these events. And, he, and if they had asked him one question, and then let him answer, and then asked him that, we would have had a, a lot better defined. But, you know, God leaves certain things as mysteries and as clues for us. We don't have it all well defined, and if we think we do, we're going to lose. But then he says in verse 38, For in those days, before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark. And they did not understand until the flood came and took them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. There will be two men in the field. One will be taken, one will be left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken, one will be left. So look what Jesus says. He says, it's going to come in a time you don't expect it. So it's not going to be like, oh, you know, the, all these earthquakes and wars and people are shooting everybody and, huh, the end is going to No. I mean, it says two men are in the field. Well, what are they doing? They're, you know, they're just working the field. How you doing, Joe? Doing fine today, Bill. You know, what would you do last week? You know, Joe's gone, Bill is left. At a time they don't know. Two women will be grinding at the mill. You know, two women are doing it, you know, and they're talking about their husband. You know, my husband doesn't do anything around the house. He's always grinding. Boom! One is taken, one is left. Totally when we're unexpecting it. When we're not expecting it, unexpectedly, Jesus is going to come. Trumpet's going to blow. He's going to come and cry. Boom! Sickle goes across the earth. All these people are going to disappear. That's what it says is going to happen. Just as in the time of Noah, people weren't expecting it. All of a sudden, the skies opened and a flood came and washed them all away. He says, that's what it's going to be like. So, you know, I, I remember when Gulf War I started. And, you know, this wasn't that long ago. It was just 15 years ago. And everybody thought, this is the end. All the nations are gathering. And it kind of looked like it. I mean, all the nations were gathering and there was all these agreements. I mean, Bush... Number one, had made all these agreements with these different nations and they, they were all gathering to the Middle East and, oh, this is the end. And, 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 and the prophets started coming and the emails started flowing. You know, this is the end. These are the reasons why. And it, it didn't happen. It didn't happen. It's going to come at a time when we're not expecting it. We're going to be, it says, they're marrying and giving in marriage. It talks about these things. That, that totally unexpectedly, when we don't expect it, it's not going to be some crazy wild time. That's what he says this coming of the Son of Man will be when he takes back his precious ones. And then he goes in, in, in verse 42 and then right on into verse uh, chapter 25 talking about the same thing about being ready. And we'll talk about that next week. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the truth of your word that we can rest totally in You. When we see these events, we need not be worried. We can rest in You. Father, I thank You that You keep us ever in Your hand and that You know exactly who You're going to draw and how this reaping will be done and who You're going to take. Father, I pray that we will be ready, as Your Word says, to be ready for Your coming, to keep that oil of the Holy Spirit with us and to be ready. Father, I pray for these young people that you get a hold of your hearts, that they would be ready for all you have. 
Father, thank you. Thank you, O Lord, for your mercies, for your grace. I pray, Lord, for these young people that you keep them ever close to you. And Lord, I I remember the many who are normally with us that aren't here because it's it's their way at home. Father, pray you bring them back to campus safely as they'll be coming back into town. Please lead them safely. And Father, those who are here and going to be going back to their respective campuses, lead them safely, O Lord, I pray. In the name of Jesus, amen.